With my countersign taken as communion, I spill out my humility to the motivating spirit present. May I act with interest of self as the vessel of creativity and not a binding inner dogma. May I listen to old voices and the whirling nocturne of the source whisper, and may I be present in its communication. May I contact and relate to others my contacting. May I remove my garters of ego play and be exposed. This day, this spring, March 31st, year 72 of Atomic Human, 2017. Welcome to the Earth Hotel. This is an area for psychic construction and interesting conversations. I'm not legally allowed to say we do conversions. My guest this week is an artist from Montevallo named Andrew Glover. He works primarily in ceramics, but we talk about his art and the world and psychic play and bizarre thinkings of things. We have a lovely conversation over wine, and we made a fish dinner and ate it and then talked for a while. So enjoy my conversation with him, and we have music to follow it. This is episode 18 of the Earth Hotel podcast. What you're about to hear is a demo of a song that I'm currently working on called The Gulch. This is just an instrumental version, and I will have further explorations of the song to follow.
Let's check the. Hello, bonjour. Haha. <laughs> okay, here we are. Awesome. Yeah, we were just talking about how similar um, and how different French we were comparing and contrasting, as as our upbringing education would say, um, Spanish and and French. Like French is the back of the mouth, and like Spanish is like kind of the front and the the cheeks, the lower jaw. You know. Yeah. I'll have already introduced you. Um, people will know who you are. Coming in, I'm gonna finish messing with this people will know who you are like coming into the interview okay yeah i said that on the last show like i'm not gonna do a repetitive thing like here's blah 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 here's my interview with blah 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 he does blah 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 and then go into the interview like hey i'm here with blah 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 he does blah 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 yeah i'm not gonna do that it's a little time consuming yeah Yeah, it is time consuming and repetitive but so is me saying that again two episodes in a row little monotonous yeah so we're just this whole show is just about (laughs) coming back to absolute zero it all evens out you know positive and negative yeah that's good yeah so uh you spend a good bit of today um collecting items up in sloss to uh tell me tell me what you did today in relation to how you how you what you do well um today it's the first day that I came back to work um, since I went to a convention up in Portland, Portland, Oregon. And the convention was a ceramics convention in Sika. Mm-hmm. It was really good, really inf- informative. It was full of many ex- exhibitions from many different artists. It was just basically a kind of like Olympics of ceramics work. Yeah. Yeah. Because people from across the nation, people from other nations, internationally, locally, it was uh, at least a thousand people. Yeah. And the stuff you were showing me, we can put some of it up on the website. Um, it wasn't just a high degree of skill or, you know, the craftsmanship was a given for all of these things, but it was a high concept, very useful, practical, or very visually striking kind of uh, thing to all of them. You know, you talked about um, a, a robotic, you know, mechanical, solar-driven vessel that would drive itself around, you know, the wilderness yeah. and... and germinate itself with a plant built into like a ceramic planter in the body of the, the kind of carriage of the thing. Yeah. And that, that artist in particular, she had experience in robotics before she had came to ceramics. Mm-hmm. So she kind of explored it in a different way. She thought of it as a more like she created a vessel that was going to go out into nature and work with nature, not pollute it, but actually be able to move and interact. And a lot of people think that that's unobtainable at times when it comes to machines and how they interact with the environment. 
Yeah, seemingly those are absolutely contrasting, you know, opposite things, machine and nature. Right. But this thing was a biodegradable machine that was meant to be autonomous. You send it out and it carries seeds from one area to another and essentially is a... It's a transport. A ground bee. Yeah, yeah. And then it, it ceases to be useful after a certain point, like an animal does, and then it biodegrades and feeds, you know. Yeah. Whatever else is a biodegradable plastic, you said. Exactly. We talked about this last night. Um, we had drinks last night. And it was very... I, I want to thank you for coming on last minute. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday, uh, late Thursday on. night, if I don't have a guest, I start sweating a little bit because it goes out friday but yeah oh, okay i appreciate you yeah so you're a student at montevallo um you're you're primarily an artist but you're learning how to do that more at montevallo right yeah so what did you do today so what i did today was i helped out with my team um at sloss um I was there with just me and my friend Savannah, who is currently our team leader, helping coordinate this whole thing. She's been there while I was away over spring break, um, and she's been helping coordinate all that, and she's really the one with the most knowledge in the group who's been really helped coordinate this. and. We're able to basically go out there and um, bring materials, gather designs, and build our own cupola. And now our own cupola is developed in okay, front so of us. Explain for the people at home what that. You told me this before, but what is that for? Oh yeah, our quote viewers. Well, what that means is that a cupola furnace is a iron melting furnace traditionally and a cupola is one without the top on it a couplet would have the lid on it and a cupola a couplet a couplet okay yes hmm. and then the body is shaped basically like a big circular barrel that goes a big circular barrel that goes about you know, 10, 12 feet high. Mm-hmm. It depends on your your measurements for this. But those are key. So you have one constructed now? Yeah. Okay. We have one that we built together, and we had some people with some different designs. And we went with one, made it, and now it's got the refractory and the refractory was basically like a concrete shell on the inside Mm -hmm. like within the actual construction of the furnace right Mm -hmm. so you make the steel frame the steel body and then from the steel body you have the refractory and And inside that that's where yes okay this What's the purpose of that thing? It's to protect the metal. You okay. know, it's like a vessel. So you can get a higher You're... temperature out of the actual right. furnace without harming the metal. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, that's exactly. the whole, This is an educational program. I could write this off on my taxes now <laughs> as an educator. 
So what's the, you say our team, what's the actual organization thing that oh, you're well, working for? Um, we're representing the University of Montevallo at this Kupla contest. Okay. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing pours in front of a whole group of different schools. And different schools will be presenting their furnaces and we will be pouring from them. Yeah. So this Friday, tomorrow, I will test them out. We will we will test fire them for the first time. Oh wow. Yeah. Well Oh well, mine. Yeah. Uh, I mean my groups. Yeah. Yeah. Well Not mine. let me know how <laughs> that goes and I'll let everybody know on the Tuesday show. Yeah. Um, because this will come out tomorrow, and then Tuesday I'll have an update. So when is the uh, when's the conference? The conference is Thursday, April sixth, two thousand seventeen. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking at that on my calendar right now. I'll have that. I'll boost that until it happens. That is, I wrote in green. It's really hard to see. That's Thursday, right? April sixth, Thursday, yeah, April sixth. You said that. Yes, yes, I'm looking at my calendar behind you. Yes, that's yeah. Thursday. So you can go to that. When is that? What time? That's an all-day event. Okay. So it goes from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah. So you can get done with that and see this live. It's that's it's weird. It's like a live competitive, like, pottering. <laughs> like, you're you're... Because you're firing these things, it's not like you're, you're all. So walk walk me through what is actually going to be done in this event. Are you making the pottery well, there and then? Well, I can. I'll I'll read you the schedule for like what's going on April fifth. Okay, so from eight thirty to five thirty p.m. We'll be doing preparation mm-hmm. for the super, uh, student cupola contest. And during that, we'll be going from 9 a.m. to 12.30, doing green sand workshops, multi-part mold workshops. And we'll go from there. So are, those, so are there steps in the preparation that you're, you're essentially teaching? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And... We're not going to be teaching it. We're going to be part of a contest itself, and we're—I mean, in, in a workshop contest, in, in a context. Yeah, like Sloss Furnaces does different workshops mm-hmm. where people can come and like pay to do their own scratch blocks and make their own bowls and things like that, and get those cast. Mm-hmm. And when those are cast, usually everybody comes up. And sits in front of the platform in which we're melting all the metal down and then we pour all the metal into each and then whatever we have left over we pour it into a little trough and that trough is when it's cooled down we just throw that bit of iron into the stack yeah okay so until 530 you're preparing all of this stuff and you're going through you're having workshops in the process that you're. It looks like it, and I'm not necessarily quite aware of what all we need to 
have done yet. You're just there to do your piece as part of the team. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't have as much experience in this field. Um, That's where I would be more experienced in ceramics work than this, per se. Because I'm not... I'm new to the process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you do a lot of independent work. Like half of your living room is equipment and tools that you can pull out into your front yard and do carpentry or or otherwise, you know, at your place. Right. So, and you you show me pictures all the time of stuff that you're working on mm-hmm. and I'm it kind of kicks my ass like you know, I don't even have to wait on physical processes. You know, I don't have to write a song and wait for it to cook or like mature or mm-hmm. like set or whatever to have it done. I just have to do the thing and you do a ton of work. So how long have you been in school for the skills that you're using now? For the skills that I'm using now when it comes to like ceramics work right now, I'm concentrating both sculpture and ceramics. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I kind of want to bridge the two. And I kind of want to have that connection between ceramic skills and sculpture. Mm -hmm. So because I I think that that's our job when it comes to different mediums, when it comes to learning different things, like we don't, just you know find that one thing we can find that one thing and get really honed into that one in particular medium yeah or we can use aspects of other ones and put put them together as well at times yeah and some people gravitate gravitate towards our own so i'm just simply gravitating towards those and i gravitate gravitate towards wood ceramic mm-hmm. and a little bit of metal yeah but yeah your woodwork is absolutely beautiful um i'll get some pictures from you that we can put on to kind of display some of your work but uh it, i find it really interesting because i absolutely don't work in any of those mediums like or media uh, you know i do some visual design and and some some stuff just as as part of like marketing the dizzy or like presenting my stuff like i have have to think visually as well as audi- you know audibly um but as far as being you know I, I i have the grounding of like musician like i have the goals and the techniques and you know the the practice of musician I know right how to, i know how to operate that mindset right but as far as being an artist that only works in sculpture and ceramics or one of the two or some, you know, in a, in only works in a very plastic medium like that. What's like, I just want to understand what, what's your goal. I mean, is the goal just get, get as good as I can with it and be as successful as I can in it. I mean, because my goal would be like, I want to take my influences and process them and then process what I see around me and my experience oh, yeah. in life and then do something new with it. Well, so like basically when, what do I want to do with it? Yeah. What do you yeah. want out of it besides like, I just want to do this one thing in front of right. me as well as I can and develop these skills as much as I can. Yeah. It's not just like, here, let me 
just devote all my time towards learning this skill and mm-hmm. like just make it simply that it's more so also about like I feel compelled to make these things yeah. and it's not because I'm just like I'm just like compelled to do it if it makes me feel like you know I have I have a sense of awareness about my what I want to do with it that I want to do something that's going to be kind of felt and touched, something that's going to be interacted with within an environment. So you're going for the impact of the individual thing as you make each one of them and working towards... Yeah, like doing how somebody else may feel when interacting with it. Right. Um, now, that's really interesting. I mean, I have... That's, to me, and I'm trying not to, like, generalize or, like you know, just assume, but that seems like a really pure pursuit of it because it's not like, you know, for better or worse, you're not going to be famous for doing outside, you know, there's no like pop potters, you know what I mean? Right. Well, there, there is. I mean, in, in those circles, but there's, that's not like a pop culture, you know, thing. So the, the goals of, and music is like the most pop culture well, pursuit you can kind of go into besides being an actor. Well, when it know. becomes to like the global stage, yeah, there's some there's some celebrities when it comes to pop art and ceramics. Who and would, that would who be would people look to, like Ai Weiwei. Okay, especially that's he's probably the most well known artist in China. I E Weiwei. Ai Weiwei. Okay, that's like W-E-I. It's A-I-W-E-I. And it's huh. repeated for way, way. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. He's a Chinese artist, and he has actually been kidnapped by his own government before, like, without, like, any notice anywhere, just, like, kidnapped. And question for weeks without letting anybody know where he is does he do political work or is yes it, oh, okay and it's more so activism yeah it's just activism really and oftentimes humanitarianism when he's not most of the time he's doing humanitarianism and most of the time it is something that it's just unavoidable you know what do you do when you're a man like Ai Weiwei who's grown up the way that he has in China yeah who is during communist China right yeah communism does not want you to be compelled it it does not want you to express humanitarianism in the same way Hmm. They're, they're suspicious what is it that you're doing right now you're rearranging things yeah. You know. Oh, you're a rabble rouser. Yeah, you're not supposed to explore. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, I'll I'll look up some some of his work and and put it in the little bloobity uh the the doobly do. There's a good documentary about him. Too. What, what is that on uh I I can't remember it. I don't I mean it, I'm sure it exactly might be on Netflix. Do you remember the name of it? No. Okay. Well, if people look it up, people can google it and Right. Yeah. Documentary. Yeah. 
People know how to work the machine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Google it. Well, we've been friends for three or four years, a little while now. Yeah. Um, About three years. Yeah. You, you were, you and a handful of other people were at the Highland Fest show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were. That right? was a long time ago. Yeah. That was two. Um, that was three years. Yeah. yeah, so... 2014. Yeah, 68. That was before I ever did podcasts. Um, but I was living in, I was living in Falcon Manor 2, which is like an apartment complex in Montevallo. Um, I've reported on that before. Um, and I think I lived there for seven or eight months before I started doing the Montevallo Music Podcast, and that went for how you know the, the, the story, if you listen. <laughs> Breaks your concentration. Yeah, we're going to stop. I'll be right back. If your child is stuck in a blizzard and is in urgent need of supplies, uh, medical supplies, band-aids, gauze, uh, homework supplies like pencils and paper, uh, uh, soaps and shampoos, uh, uh, toilet plungers if you need those, uh, this is one of the only places you can find guitar strings uh, in Montevallo that's not Hoover or Birmingham. Yep, in Montevallo, Alabama, there's a little place called Smitherman's Pharmacy. It's a family-owned uh, business that's been serving Montevallo for a long, a long time. You should uh, shop with them instead of the CVS across the street from them, because fuck those people. The CVS, rather. 703 Main Street, Montevallo, Alabama, 205-665-2574. Play that number back for me. That's 205-665-2574. Tell me Earth Hotel Podcast sent you. Okay, we're back from dog break. The dogs have treats, and now they are quiet and sitting on the floor and, and, and sated just for now until they want food again and they'll be back <laughs> and disrupting my life again. I love them, but they're my parents' dogs, and I, I, I love them ambivalently. I mean, I love dogs anyway, but man... These dogs. They're big dogs. They're big dogs, and they are insistent. <laughs> insistent dogs. They're labs. Insistent they're dogs. Just, yeah. They demand lab. a lot of... Yeah. They're labs without anything to do. Things. Suburban yeah. labs. Moms Against Suburban Labs Incorporated is my next project. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's... Uh, um, uh, Mazb. 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 Is it going to be my uh, organization? Like, <laughs> when I really hit it big and get a 501c or whatever, um, 401c, whatever the thing is called, the nonprofit. 401k? What? No, it's uh, whatever the nonprofit. Oh. Doesn't the tax designation. I think it's 501c. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be that. Sure. It's going to be Mothers Against Suburban Labs. I don't know where the B came from. We're back on the Earth Hotel podcast, yeah. and we're very confused. <laughs> but we were talking about um, Highland Fest, so that's where oh, yeah. I kind of consider my career to have started. Like, I did okay. music before that, but then when I did that show, that was the first thing that I did that was kind of like that. Um, and that's that's where, if I was cutting my teeth in Montevallo and spending time trying to figure out what I was doing, which is what I say happened... Um, that's when that started. 
that's when my my teeth done came out of my gums. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was that show. But you were there and I met you there. I met several of our friends there and then we've been friends ever since. Yeah, I think that's how it went down. Yeah. Um see in some of that experience I don't remember because it was so long ago. But I remember as a freshman I heard about this party and it was, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like it's not everybody, you know, on their freshman experience, do they? Like within the first week hear about like some type of party going on. Mm-hmm. And this one was going on within like the first week. And I just showed up there with a group of my friends who are actually people that I'm still friends with today. Yeah, y'all fell in at orientation, didn't you? You were just kind of around each other? Well, we weren't... It wasn't like the process of orientation that, like, made us meet. But it was, like, the art kids group. Mm -hmm. And the people who were really serious about being artists and taking advantage of the education that they could get. Yeah, here. all of y'all work really hard. Right, yeah. And we're all doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, all of us have pretty much different things that we are really refined in. Yeah, and two of the three of y'all live in the Falcon Manor 2 complex where I used to live in. Right. Um, well, well, three out of the four that I'm thinking of now. I don't want to say names just because of privacy things. If they want to come on, they can. But, yeah, so... After Highland Fest, I played a set that included, I think, Sleepy Pilot, um, Teen Addiction, uh, a couple of a couple of things that I I think I played Virginia Plain by um, Roxy Music. I did Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. A lot of that mid glam. I think I did Life on Mars, um, mm. but that was the first set that I really did there that I got recognized for in that form where I was doing backing tracks that I had recorded myself with the thing and then I started having shows at my place and then the Montevallo podcast started a lot and on and on whatever but that was y'all have been the most consistent friends I've had since you know I got to Montevallo so I'm glad to bring it full circle that's awesome yeah Yeah. I would I would have to say about the same thing you know like and I think that's quite amazing how like all of us came together yeah. and met at that at that time um, because, like I said, it's not like a normal thing for like the people in my group of, uh, you know, because at the time you were about a grade or so above me, right? I think I was out of school at that point. I was a burnout officially. Right, but that was... <laughs> But that was like, still, like if we were to look comparatively. Yeah, yeah, you would come in about a year after me. Right. If I had finished out that semester, then the summer, and then it was you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, and the way that it works is, you know, it's like freshman, sophomore, and junior, senior, and these are broken up into different semesters. But each year, you've got a new wave Mm -hmm. of people. And every time 
you observe this new wave of people come in. There's people that you haven't even met before all the time, but there's people that you may not have met all the way through, you know? You see them. Like, you see them maybe, like, the next year. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we were here, like, from. Yeah, a lot know. of people, I mean, people that are still entwined with me actively. I Did you ever meet? I'm not sure. I'll bleep that out. Anyway, um, I'll just say her, um, I'll, I'll bleep the name out. Um, but I sell her books. Um, like she, she did a piece of writing, like a, a seven or eight page piece of writing for an English class that we were in together where I wrote some of the stuff that's on Songbook Hypnoses, which was the album that I put out while I was living in that apartment. Um, I think you were there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was out, technically album number two. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to that. But she wrote this piece of fiction um, that was in multiple voices and it had like multiple parts, but it was a piece of short fiction called Shards. And I cut it up against itself and I've got it for sale at my merch booth or I've just got copies of it at the merch booth. But she was in an English class with me. She was present through all of that stuff and now she's elsewhere. Um, How's she doing? I don't know. I saw her, I played a show at, at Copper Top in Huntsville a few months, uh, I guess about a year ago with mm-hmm. the old paints when I was still playing with them. Um, and if anybody listens and cares, um, I'm not with the old paints anymore. I've had people ask me if I am. I have no hard feelings against the old paints. I wish them success. Um, they taught me a lot about being a musician and how to be a professional and all that. Um, but we just didn't work together after a certain point. And I wanted to do my stuff. So and now I'm with the Dizzy. So just a public whatever. I just wanted to address that without posting on Facebook. By the way, I'm not with the old paints anymore. Don't, don't <laughs> blah, blah, blah. that would be bad. So anyway, I have a platform of my own for a reason. <laughs> um, but anyway, my point was there are all these characters that if if they weren't recorded, they would just be lost. Yeah. You know? Um, and, yeah. Kind of like to memory. Yeah, and a perfect example of that was a couple of episodes ago on the the short episodes I put out on Tuesday. Um, there was an artist that he was a friend of one of my friends that was there in those apartments. Um, mm-hmm. And I lived there from 2014 to th- 2016 or so. Um, so I was friends with her and she she died a couple of years ago or she died i think in 2016 and he was friends with her and his art was this really intense like pornographic like s&m male like art once you go there you can't well square <laughs> so he made this really intense art and andrea dillingham found it in a desk in montevallo like this collection of these bizarre drawings mm-hmm. and they were tonys and I, she showed me them one night, and she said, look at these weird things I found in a desk in Montevallo. They, they say Tony on the back, and it was, like, graded for a school project. The teacher had written Tony, blah, 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 on the back. So it was for a Montevallo art class. Wow. But that was the same Tony that Lil was friends with. That was my friend that had died. He had died from AIDS. 
and a lot of and, wow. and it actually said in one of the the paintings that Andrea found um like give me your aids come or something like that Ooh. um and he had done that after he was diagnosed but and she just happened to find that that I I could say yeah. oh that's that tony yeah and and because I you know that's got to be him and then I told her that and then she decided to put them up and then at the art show at the Chroma Cove thing I think that's a couple episodes ago he, uh, she had a friend come up and say, hey, I'm his friend. He's doing, there's a showing going on in L.A. that's showing a lot of their stuff, and I would love to have these paintings in L.A. at that's that show. That's great. Isn't I'm, that crazy? I'm, that's, that's, that is an intense story. Yeah. And that is an intense thing to just, you know, think of happening, you know, because yeah. it's... I don't need a hundred thousand dollars to make the show happen, so I can document the stuff. Yeah, and have it just be there. So was he aware of that then, when he like made that painting? I'm sure. Yeah, it's kind did... of like a David Bowie kind of thing, you know? Like yeah, how, how David Bowie kind of did that whole album with yeah. Death Star, you know, yeah, Black Star. Yeah, Lazarus and all that stuff. Right. Hmm. And. In that way, I kind of, you know, like there's, there's something I was reading about what kind of like artist perspectives on like identity, and under the subject of identity, like there is a lot of people that like, you know, really crave to like get the message on to perpetuate, you know, what it that feeling or that emotion that it is that one is trying to deliver with their artwork yeah i'm gonna keep it for posterity right but it's like the thing of how many you know how many people do you want to affect with your artwork do you want you know this thing to be temporary and be that thing that like affects somebody in the moment that it's around or like something else that goes beyond and just you know you want it to last for generations yeah even you know that's that's the interesting and thing okay go on I, I i mean i started to think about that but you know majority of things that have stuck around for generations i don't know if they were really they were not all of them i don't think were said like you know i'm going to make this masterpiece so people can remember it for generations but instead they just did it they they enjoyed it to that degree well i agree with you like 50 percent and on and off like binary uh i mean because those really great guys were very dramatic and wanted to be like like caravaggio like Uh, wanted to be the best painter in italy like he wanted to do that even though he wasn't like classically like you know, even though he just did it, he was just brilliant. He wanted that thing and he wanted the fame. Right. You know, but um, but the fact that you pursue it, um, like you're you're looking for the accomplishment as it comes to you in the in like the manner of practice. Mm-hmm. Like you throw the thing down and you have specific goals for what you're doing in front of you, mm-hmm. and you kind of trust that. And I, I'm sure you. I'm sure you reflect on your your development as you know you 
how you were a couple of years ago, how you might want to be a couple of years from now. But your development is literally one thing at a time. You well, know, I don't yeah. develop with every note that I play. Right. You know, it's only in very concrete things that I have to do that actually help me. Yeah. You it's know. not like one day you wake up and you're just like, or like, you know, years from now, it's just like, well, okay. I, you know, I've had this natural talent. Yeah. Just, but that's not, oh, it just thing. came to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and I'm, I guess I'm just really interested in, in the plastic kind of physical work because it relies so heavily on intuition an intention because you you i mean because you have very cognitive reasoned like with forethought goals and, right. and procedure and it's a lot of learned skill yeah but then you're relying on an essentially intuitive interplay between your fingers and what you're doing in the sense that you you know what you're trying to get out of it and you have a skill to bridge that gap between here and nothing but yeah. you have to rely on feedback more than I guess I would or, you know. And on, I, I, I'm yeah. just interested in comparing and contrasting those things. But what you were saying about the old artists, like. Well, I think I think that, you know, you were talking about, like, it takes, um, like, some reflection onto it where, like, you need a little bit more. Seriously, like a feedback about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I think that's sort of a thing that like all of us, all of us as artists do. But like when it comes to when it comes to uh, three dimensional work, where you're working hands on, where you have to coordinate your hands with your mind, mm-hmm. and you're saying, "Okay, this is what I want." in my head this is how I'm going to do it it's always like the first thing that you make right it's just jank <laughs> it's just you know it's it's probably going to look you know nothing like what you thought it was going to look like in your head what you envisioned but you've practiced and you've gotten something out and you've just tried to render it as best as possible but what you begin to do over time is built up you build up your texture palette so after you build up your texture palette you can put them all together it's kind of like your building materials you know when you say okay I've got X amount of this and X amount of this at this and this length. And so if you're going from one texture to another across one surface, right? You have that almost like a a um a mental tool that you can reach back for and call up how to do that with your right. hand. So you are you're training your hand just like I would train my hand to execute you know certain notes you're you're in i'm just trying to exactly understand it from inside of my own process of making of how i actually put sounds together i I think that would i think that would be a good way to describe it because you're using your hands and coordinating them in a building block manner right like where you've learned each note and learn how they relate and 
how to compose them to make them sound better yeah or appear better you're how rendering react to the air yeah with that like rendering is just trying to make this two-dimensional picture or three-dimensional object that you want it to look a certain way you're rendering it to that mm-hmm. level yeah higher rendering means that it's probably going to be something that you can easily see you know you can see what's going on so with music you know like if you have a song that you're just like oh where is this going you know yeah why is this why does it suddenly just dip here maybe if and, you have a, a score and you can only hear you know, if I have an eight-part song with eight instruments and I can only play two of those instruments maybe at a time, mm-hmm. I'm not going to know what the whole song looks like until I get all the elements in there that are necessary in yeah. a recording, for example. And, and I can hear, I can see audibly how all those things fit together. So you have textures in different ways, in different amplitudes or different intensities or exactly. whatever to create one effect. I'm just, I, I just wonder about um, where... Where, where you fit into the mitigating process of getting a reaction from someone like the, the way that, that a physical object reacts and not in a, not in a ballet or in a, a very big, a large sculpture kind of way, with yeah. people, but how like a piece of ceramics or something causes reaction in people that, that kind of, it does like, I feel reaction to it, mm-hmm. but it's very mystifying to me how you work in that kind of arena. Well, and it's also something that doesn't often rip, give you the same pay, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not about the money in that way. Well, I just it's mean a, like the, and, the, uh, the emotional, like, well, cause you're, are you thinking like when I make this cup for someone, cause you make right. cups, you make, you know, that's right. And that's what, that's what I was getting to is basically, you know, it's about that interaction, right? It's, it's about how somebody interacts with it because you know if i wanted to make you know a perfect cup over and over again to sell like manufacture them as a repeatable product as a repeatable product i could do so without a whole lot of you know working on the wheel but i do it because every cup is unique every piece is unique Right. Every thing that I've hand built or worked with is unique because I can't just replicate those. And I can make molds of things and I can replicate them that way. Mm-hmm. But it's encouraged by the people who teach at Montevallo. It's encouraged by many other artists, you know though not to repeat unless it is for kind of like you know you've got your own company kind of deal you know you can do you can do that as freelance but as a student like it's different you know because we've got this facility yeah the facility makes a huge difference and and being given work you know I'm, i'm sure like helps because you know, most people, and I don't, I'm not judging anybody, but like, I would say most people that play music in the area don't have a mentality of like, and I don't either of, okay, I'm going to write 10 songs this week 
mm-hmm. and I don't care if they're good. I don't care if they're if I'm ever, if if I'm going to do anything with them ever again. I don't care if I can play them with ten people or just me or whatever. I'm going to write ten songs week to week. Yeah, and not have a goal for it. That's not except to just yeah. learn how to do it better. Nobody does that. I mean, Bob yeah. Dylan did that maybe, but like, and people have done that since. But I'm just fascinated by like the. It's applied in different yeah. ways. It's not like it takes more or less work, but it is. It is applied in different ways. Yeah, like, but your point, yeah, that was that's interesting, you know, because that's something that I feel like in order to get better at anything, mm-hmm. we're gonna if we really want to get better at it, we have to make like. 10, 15, 20 scratches. Yeah. Just periodically. And we're going to have to say, okay, those are worth nothing. You know? Yeah. I need to just make some new ones. And and it's not like, you know, like, if you spend a a lot of time on some work, then keep those, you you know? It's like, when I go to sit down and make a whole bunch of cups, now, I can throw them you know, where it's like I can make any shape that I want yeah, and I can throw it up in a matter of minutes. Yeah. I've seen videos of you just uh, a lot, you know, large bowls, you know, mm-hmm. you put it on and you draw it out and you get in the proper shape and you just touch it once and it goes, and then it's a bowl mm-hmm. and then you just fire it after that, I assume. And yeah. Um, and I mean, there's some cleaning up, but you could ma- turn them out and you can make 50 in, you know, a couple of hours or whatever and just sell them off to whatever, but you don't. Right, but you I choose don't. to be very imaginative and, and apply different textures on the outside and and really beautiful and kind of evocative, um, you know, like not not plating, not like gold leaf or something on the outside, but these these interesting metallic ceramic like right. textures that I've seen a lot of on a lot of your cups. Yeah, it's very cool. If I had, and I'm I, I really dig that the aesthetic placement of, you know, instead of having ten cups of the same, I could go out to IKEA or whatever Target or whatever and buy a set of cups and they all look nice together. Right. Or I could have ten cups that we're all made by the same person, but they're absolutely not the same. And they're going to last, you know, they're not, they're not plastic, you know, and all of them feel different in my hand and they all weigh something different. And, you know, I have to wash them myself. It's a very interesting relationship that that causes you to have with your environment. And that's, that's what it used to be. We used to have artisans just to make all of our, you know, they're not our, but I mean, yeah, at a certain point, like you had the pot, the, the town potter and that made all of right. know, your vessels and the, and the vases and the things that you carried your water in or whatever. Yeah. And people's last names were literally describing their trade. Yeah. And that's how, I mean, like it's been fed into different generations and now it's become more so of, and we were discussing this earlier if how it's converted over to capitalism instead of uh, more so of a capitalistic like consumer culture yeah approach where there's a lot more networking going on yeah um yeah i was going to say that you know in in and i'm i'm just assuming that in rome for example you have a generation of 
of artisan potters that work this way, and a few of them might come up with a new technique that is then passed on to their apprentices, and that gets into the next generation. But we don't work in that system. We work in hand-to-hand interaction, face-to-face interaction. What are our, what are your ideas? How do you work? Oh, you do that? Oh, that's cool. Like, mm-hmm. we have a lot of room. I mean, it is capitalistic, and we are expected to sell ourselves as artists, but we also have kind of unprecedented freedom to experiment. Yes, yes. And that's that's a big gain right there. And really, it's just all about the appreciation, you know, like the appreciation of... Uh, of art, of the sciences, of any type of research yeah. in general, because we are doing research. We're doing research in our own fields. Yeah. And and in the, which field yeah. is deemed important is kind of varied over time with multiple eras, you know? Yeah. It goes from kind of a science-y approach to a theological approach. To a psychological approach, <laughs> yeah. Well, I basically, th- I think the our biggest, era that we're living in, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I think the the biggest problem for you and me is we live in a society that doesn't find merit in art as a concept. Yeah, you know, as a practice in a society, you need, um you need art and you need that kind of, you need to, you, you have to instill in your people the tendency to want to engage in reality. Right. Like for itself. Like I want to think about myself and I want to be healthy, not just intellectually. I want to be healthy existentially. Yeah. And it, and it helps find your place in the world. Like with me and that's basically like one of the main reasons why. I got into art in the first place was especially because I did a lot of wood carving when I first did it. You right. know, it it brought me back to a it brought me out of myself and it brought me from kind of a third person point of view onto the world. It's nice you know? to make yourself a receptacle or a, an instrument, right? Yeah, because how many of us always get you know we start getting lost in the day to day. You know, we start getting in this monotonous effort, you know, mm-hmm. and then we go, you know, then we start to question ourselves and we say, okay, well, what is it that truly makes me happy in life? How do I find happiness? But like indefinitely. Right. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. And when you experience nature or you experience the appreciation of life, you start to get a different perspective on it and you start to say like, okay, these are the things that really matter and these are the things that I really care for. Right. Let me show my appreciation towards that. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with sinking into um, my relationship with the world through the art that I make because I engage with it in very real ways, um, I'll have like religious or mystical experiences out of just finding a detail for myself, you know, on something I'm, that I'm working on and then going out into the world and seeing that detail reflected in my experience. And that's like a commerce, that's a trade, that's a trade of energy for me and the thing that I've made a pact with to make art with. 
and the rest of the world. Like, that's a trade that goes on. Yeah. But that's not a recognized trade in our economy. Right. The trade between myself and an audience member when I make them feel a thing that they don't understand what to call it. Yeah. You know, I make them feel this thing with the song that I did and they they realize something about themselves or it shifts something around in them that that can't be um, adjudicated. Like it can't be put into a practical use, but it's still important. It's essential for our human experience. Right. And the humanness of our experience is not something that's written into the equation of politics or the economy. Like it's not written into the fabric of our society is that we need things like nature, like just to be and to be healthy, or we need things like music to bring out, a feeling of oneness with what's around us. Like those kind yeah. of things aren't written into our system. To really, to really like engage in thoughtful practice of just meditation of, of realizing the world around you. Right. Yeah. I mean, Japan's, um, fervored pace, uh, of, of production and, and work has gotten to the point where they're installing state forests like around big cities so that people can go in and be around nature because studies are showing that if you're around fractal... Increasingly so. Yeah, uh, fractal, um, and I mean in a legitimately like pine cones and shit are actually fractal. Like mm-hmm. if you're around those things and you experience those, then that relieves depression and stress and all this stuff. So they're having to send people into these forests to hang out for a bit to get de-stressed. So I that think they it's go back everything. Yeah. Of that. Like the yeah. smell, the sight, the the feel. Yeah, we like, have to be there. There's nothing. You can't trade that for the city. Right. In that, ex, in that hand. And I, I, I don't want to interject, but um, th- that's sort of like why I do some of the things that I do because it's that thing, you know? It's that interaction. Right? Yeah. It's that like yeah desire that innate desire to be like you know you you kind of need this yeah if you don't you're just stressing out all the time well it's an important and understated connection you need to have to have an intimate you know emotional connection with the vessel that you you have a life-giving substance in you know, when you get up in the morning and you drink water because your mouth is dry, yeah. what that water has been through comes to you in and is carried from there to your mouth in is important in a metaphysical, like, symbolic kind of way. Yeah, and how we've experienced, like, just everything that's associated with that. Like, right. I pick up the cup mm-hmm. and now there's cultural relevance to it even the way that i hold it the way that i interact with it what is what is accepted you know sometimes something as little as that can be called a dimension through the shape of it you know yeah when you have those broad ridges on your pieces on your cups you know this varied texture and i pick it up first thing in the morning and i'm sleepy and i feel that on my hands this complex kind of shape and it's cold and it's but it's heavy you know and i fill it with water and i drink it and it and it tastes like water it doesn't right. taste like plastic it doesn't taste like you know it tastes and it feels like you know for some reason there's a, a recognition in me 
when I drink from those cups of like this, I remember this. Yeah. Because cups didn't used to be perfectly round and like, you know, like this glass in front of us, you know, maybe that's a bad example, but like a plastic cup with the little weird ridges on the end mm-hmm. on the on the rim of the cup and stuff. It's not, I remember drinking out of this handmade cup ancestrally, you know, right. old feelings. And, and it's those kinds of, and you can just extrapolate that out as broad as you want to, but it's those connections to where we come from that are missing in our way of life now you know this is you know in england like they live in some of those buildings have been there since 1500 like the building is still there and there's still there's a bar that's still there right some of those and some of the streets are still there you can feel a connection to the past and we don't really we're kind of starved for that in this non-physical way here yeah, and it's kind of like that, you know, I often think of the experience of, like, um, somebody walking up and, like, you know, hiking through the woods and coming upon some sort of, like, you know, ancient ruin or, you know, like, you know, like a building that used to be there from a certain time period and you recognize that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like that experience when you think about it. Yeah, but then you go to L.A. Yeah, <laughs> and nothing is still. I mean, some iconic places are still like the whiskey's still there, but that place on the corner that you used to go to for nachos that you just kind of remember as a kid not there anymore. And perspectives over. change completely from that time point. Yeah, like it, it, you think about about the the length of time, like how long it's been since this and this happened yeah you know? la is not that old of a city no you know for just to have that as an example and the cultural values that have driven that whole city to be the weird psychic black hole that it is have changed drastic uh, very drastically you know yeah um but that's to wrap up i think that's that's why a practical physical art is very important and is kind of tragically culturally understated yeah. Like, I'm glad you could send people to, like, a famous, you know, ceramics person, like a famous, you know, there mm-hmm. are famous sculptors, but, you know, the power of, like, the power and the effect of, of this physical artwork is very important. And that's what I've been trying to spit out of my face for the last, like, 30 minutes. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's it's yeah. important because of, like, you extrapolated, I mean, like, you expanded on that, where it's it's been basically an, another form of documentation. Right. Of human experience, more so. Well, Instead yeah, of, the oldest stuff that we have to look back on, some of it is pottery. Yeah, and, like, you were saying that feeling... It's that experience that you get from holding that object Mm -hmm. and knowing that somebody else spent time putting their hands on this object and like directing their, their mental, all of their concentration, all of their energy towards it. And now you're experiencing it years, years down the line. Yeah. And I don't know that, I guess that's something that I kind of picked up from uh, antique collecting too. Yeah, like it, I kind of get a similar experience. 
from doing yeah you, you I mean, recognize well it had yeah. to come from somewhere yeah yeah well thank you thank you so much for talking with me this has been yeah. like a substantial like yeah i didn't realize yeah. the time flew by no it really yeah. does like you don't you don't realize that you just you just go it's it's really good thanks for uh yeah yeah um we'll have some photos of your work and the work that you're referencing um on the website um, some a, a lot of people get this through the earthhotel.org and some people get it through iTunes and if they're on iTunes you can also find all of these shows on YouTube if you look up the Earth Hotel podcast and these will be like kind of queued up to where you can see the stuff that we're talking about um, but yeah so all right yeah thank yeah. you thank There's you a good one. yeah we are being recorded for posterity uh, this is a song that I wrote about six months ago called Sleepy Pilot What you are about to hear is a track from Arabata. 
that's the fellow on SoundCloud that sent me this uh, this song over the email address that I give out for viewer submissions. So thank you, uh, sir. This is his track called Armature. You can find him on SoundCloud under Arabada. R, oh Jesus, A-R-A-B-A-D-A, like Arab, A-R-A-B, Ada, A-D-A. So this is his track, Armature. Thank you very much for sending me that. You can send your submissions at theearthhotel at gmail.com. If you have music, if you have words you'd like me to read on the show, um, if you have poetry or weird manifestos, if you've got uh, really anything at all that could uh, contribute to our, uh, our programming here, we're happy to have it, and we'll be certain to credit you how you would like to be credited. So thank you. Here is Armature.
to take you to the art analysis portion of the show. Of the show. It's not something that I normally do. For some reason, it very rarely comes up in, uh, in the episode uh, process that determines what I do in each show. In this case, I want to keep it short. Uh, my friend Kyle Weems, you know Kyle Weems, he's been on the show many times and he's submitted things. He sent me um, a song about war as Mexico that I've still yet to record. I, I want to do a similar thing to the Scott Walker Clara song that I uh, that I did a few months ago, where I took an hour or so and broke the whole song down, because there's a lot of history involved, and I want to get it all right. It's required research, so that's in the works. That's coming out soon. But characteristically, I'm going to take five or ten minutes and talk about this uh, this other Scott Walker song that I have been listening to lately, and mainly for the reason that I want some feedback on this, because I've, I've been trying to figure this song out. So if you dig him, or if you just like puzzles, uh, here is where I would put Bouncer See Bouncer by Scott Walker. So if you want to participate in this part of the show, uh, you can go listen to Bouncer See Bouncer, S-E-E, Bouncer See Bouncer, is, uh, is a song that Scott Walker put on his first album, uh, coming back in the new, in the new age, kind of, uh, in 1995, the first of his trilogy that he's, he's done lately, which was Tilt, the album. Uh, this is on that album, so go listen to it on YouTube, or better yet, buy the whole album, buy his whole collection, and then come back and listen to the rest of this. I just want to talk about the possibilities in my own, um, my own take on what this might be about. So, if you've heard anything that Scott Walker does, it's a fairly dramatic song that has a dark, um, not sadistic humor, but kind of a schadenfreudic kind of uh, a humor about the way it approaches its subject. So, it's it's a morbid glee that he kind of takes in a lot of his his choice of lyrics and subject matter, but the subject itself is, is usually very <laughs> upsetting um, in a very particular way. So he's telling a story. It's not like a, a fan theory where you put together elements of what the song might be about, but you have to. Um, he, he takes a long time to write lyrics, and he goes through word by word, and if he doesn't have the word... Uh, in a very um, Madame Bovary kind of fashion, 
He just waits until he knows what's next. So it's almost, you can approach it almost like a Kubrick film, but then you can go too far. You know, Kubrick was so known for putting incredible detail in his work. So by knowing that that was what was the, the case about him, you would look for detail and sometimes over find detail. So I really want a second opinion about what I'm reading into this song. Because I went with what was most intuitively shocking and interesting, and I'm not completely certain of what the lyrics are. I don't have the actual product in front of me, um, the official quote lyrics that were on the sleeve. So it's kind of up to interpretation as well, and that might change what I was thinking. So it may be a case of I heard what I thought I heard, and then that might be another lyric, and it might completely steer me in another direction. But listen to the song a few times, maybe. Maybe listen to the song once with the lyrics in front of you, and then come back here. We've, we've done that. But here, if you haven't by now, let's go into it. The main refrain, the the basis of the song, because it's not a song in its in a traditional way. It basically has two movements, one chord, another chord, and the other chord is like a bridge, which is a different scene. It's a different moment in time. It's a memory, and a different mood, that fades in and out of the present moment, which is notated by the pounding drum. Essentially, I think, because originally when I, I have two theories on this song. The first was when I first heard it, taking little bits and pieces out. The second one was when I had read all the lyrics and would come back to it months later. The first early theory I had was a boy or a man that is getting married and remembers his childhood and is kind of reminiscing on his trauma because he remembers his mother and father having sex and watching them essentially bouncer see bouncer would mean they bounce the rubbing and fusing um what's the line Yeah, Mama danced four feet away, Papa danced four feet away, in the rubbing and fusing, the ceiling and pivoting. I gotta dance four feet away. That's what I I I hooked kind of out of it originally. So that painted an image of me of a baby and a bouncer, bouncing up and down. Bouncer, see bouncer, the organism of his parents in the middle of sex. Um, But then I read into the rest of the lyrics, and it didn't make nearly as much sense. Small things, um, the the small things lent to it, but also took away from it. The dancing made sense, um, but then there are there's another person involved. Uh, you won't play that song for me, those threads you would never wear, the sobbing that just might choke us. There's no real present link and it also doesn't call up another memory. So that theory kind of went out the window. The second theory I had 
was because I figured Walker's got to write a love song eventually. <laughs> like something's got to be about an interpersonal relationship beyond Clara. Maybe he that was the next album on the drift. It was the tilt. It was sorry, tilt the drift, bish bosh. Uh, in this trilogy, so that this was ninety five. I think the drift was two thousand six. So the second take I had of the song was the really good way I like to approach trying to figure these things out, which is um, potentially, hypothetically, use a, a mind-altering substance and then sit down and let it wash over me. And this music really lends itself to that because the the production approach is so raw and close to the listener um, maybe it's not mastered and it's just Im- so impeccable that it doesn't have to be because he and Paul, I can't remember his last name, the, a, a fellow he's worked with in the studio forever, um, a lot, you know, for the last 30 years or something. So they really know each other and they know what they are trying to get and they're refining and refining the sound to where it's right up next to you. That's really apparent on the drift and more apparent on Bishbosh as it gets more and refined. But this is, um, this is, coming out of the late 80s pop place where um, Climate of Hunter or um, Night Flights might have been. So this washed over me and that drum hit um, recurs in his in a lot of his work around this time, but it's not, it, I don't think it always means the same thing. Um, but it, it generally kind of lends to the passing, especially at the rate the tempo that it's at here, the passing of time. This is a present moment. This is what I'm thinking now. This is what, and he's clearly writing characters. He's not being Scott Walker in these songs. So the theory that I have now is a man marries his his childhood sweetheart. They came up together in Catholic school, and they have this bond, and he's married her new like recently and maybe on their honeymoon they go bungee jumping and when they do through sabotage of his she dies and he collects the insurance money and that's his plan so the song is the way i see it is an exploration of the rottenness that can creep into people when you have reality at a slight tilt where you have your priorities out of, out of whack and you lose yourself in that. Um, and that, that kind of runs throughout the album. You know, the first song is farmer in the city and, and that's a depiction of the relationship and the inner thoughts of, uh, of the lover of Pierre Paso, Pierre Paolo Pasolini, um, you know, do I hear 21, 21, 21, I'll give you 21, 21, 21. Pasolini says to, you know, the message ringing around in the head of this young male prostitute that Pasolini has taken for a lover and whips him as a sadist, you know, whips him with this writing crop that hangs above his bed where he's tied up and Pasolini goes off and does things and leaves him there. And, you know, another another song about the love affair between or just 
the the mutual attraction between a Nazi officer and a doctor in a death camp and the interview of now a much older officer talking about his his own fraught tilted perspective relationship on uh, with this doctor you know they talk about spreading the ribs of patients but we had <laughs> it's heavy but it's clever we had the order for 50,000 it was the month of July we had blood in our gonads you were responsible for the rolling stock uh so what was my point these are all i feel depictions of relationships you need to listen to this if you haven't if if you're in the mood for or if you have the kind of goal of listening to music if if you want the kind of music that makes you work into it that makes you not only makes you work for it, but also demands your attention, that demands that inquisitiveness. Because there's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of art that wants to demand, you know, if, if only you looked at my painting for hours on end, you would get it. Well, that's on the artist to demand that attention, and this does, because it has so it has so much to it. So, at the risk of of taking the song apart, I'm going to go through and, and kind of describe how I read it. Spared, I've been spared, all the nickling, all the diming. I've been spared all the powder on a trumpet of Gabriel. So, he's... He's on... So a lot of couples go bungee jumping together. It's it's a romantic thing. And that was certainly a thing in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s when this was written. This is not like this was a song from the 40s. That's a real thing. And, and maybe, maybe he didn't intentionally sabotage her, which would give spared another meaning. But if something went wrong in the bungee jump, then he was he he survived her. Spared, I've been spared, all the nicklin and all the diming. He's feeling relief dangling at the bottom of this cable. Forty feet, ten feet, four feet away from his wife, what is left of his wife on the ground. Bouncer see bouncer up and down and up and down in this kind of suspended the rolling kind of rattling metal sound is a suspended in air thing but that drum hits over and over and over there's a lot of telltale heart stuff in walker's work in some places but then this is just a moment You know, I've been spared, and he feels relief. I've been spared all the nickelin and all the diamond, all the powder on a trumpet of Gabriel. So, 
I don't know if he's making a nose joke here, but that sounds like a Coke reference, and he's written about cocaine before. A trumpet of, you know, Gabriel is the angel that brings doom. Or messages, depending on what part of Christianity you draw from, or other religions. Uh, Gabriel features in uh, Judaism and uh, Islam as well. But all the powder on a trumpet of Gabriel, all the powder on her nose that brings doom, on his nose, did they have that problem? Don't play that song for me. You won't play that song for me. The uh, the marriage, uh, the wedding march, the song they dance to, their song. Don't play that. You won't play that. Here I differ. I think it's the wraith with the swaddling hair. I am reading the riff with the swaddling hair. So that song would be the song that takes him to the face of her with the swaddling hair, but that would also make sense thematically. The halo of locust, I'll get to that. I'll read the wraith, but you can... It's possible that it's riff. Go listen to it closely with headphones. The wraith with the swaddling hair, those sisters who never broke us. Catholicism. The link missing at the rear... I read at the rail. But either way, if you're bungee jumping, then you're coming off of your back. Or it's attached to your back, you know. The link missing at the rail or the rear. The rear. <laughs> the rail or the rear, it makes sense. And the halo, halo of locust. The doom. The He's, he's referring in all these different ways, and he never... That's, that's kind of why I sound. I feel like I sound crazy reading all of this stuff into it, but I think that's what the music requires because he kind of bumps you around corners. It's not clever, twisty, like um, cryptology kind of puzzle writing. He's guiding you to experience what he's saying in a very specific way. And generally, one, and one of the ways that he does that is by suggesting words or ideas instead of stating them. And it's really crazy how he does it. For example, um, on the Drift album, part of what the Drift means, what, I, what the theme kind of is, and this is intentionally stated on a few songs, but also inferred in a lot of other places, it's fascism. It's like, it's the it's the drift of our human behavior into this place that trivializes life, or trivializes ideas, or um, or really trivializes the legacy of death and destruction that humanity has. It's this drift. It's the drift, and eager words come off a lot he says um neath in in a in a song about what i what i believe to be the rape of an elderly woman in a nursing home 
the line, the opening line is, Neath the bougie, which is French for like a tube, Neath the bougie, the thimble rigger slyly rolls the pea. He's referring to this old lady, the thimble rigger. She puts the thimble on and she sews or she knits or whatever. Neath her tube, she rolls the pea. So, and then, um, jigger is used also in several different songs on that album. So he keeps suggesting those are very odd words to combine in context. And the album isn't about race. There might be references to it, but that, amongst many other words that I'm not going to go into in this time, he's suggesting this, he's putting you on edge because he knows how the English language works. You know, it's it's a kind of almost as juvenile as saying, you know, what the duck, or I don't know what, how to illustrate that, but like, it's, well, it's like every kid's movie where, you know, they're in a, a they're, they're on a, in a car and they're running towards a wall and they don't know, you know, the wall's coming up against the, uh, up towards them and they're about to hit it. And one of them goes, Oh, son of a, and then, and they hit it. And then he doesn't actually say bitch, but you know exactly what he's trying to say. It's like a really complicated hoity toity, really subtle, well-crafted way of doing that to get an artistic point across. So just like music moves from one thing to the next. So tones in music, you know, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, whatever, onward, they pull according to where you start. So there's a reason why music works the way it does. And so every note has a tendency of where it wants to go according to how we organize our sound. So, and some pull right back to bottom where you started, and some kind of meander back that way, or some lead in a different direction. So that's what songwriting kind of is, or music writing, is knowing how to use those ideas to move someone through the experience. So this is an elaborate way of doing that, that's basically art song, and that's a a long practice going back before there was really written music. It's this experience that includes music, but it's not written into the music. Or, that's a terrible way of explaining it. Um, The point that you're trying to get across, like the story or the concept or like the, the tale that you're trying to move, is an integral part of what the song is to the highest degree. So everything serves what you're doing. Every Or everything you do serves the idea. So Walker takes this and gives you just enough to let you be horrified by yourself, which is what that, that was the feeling that I got when I finally got it. Bouncer, see bouncer, oh fuck. And, and the, realizing that the song takes place at the bottom of a rope. Bounce up and down and up and down. And every time you, and, and slowly twisting and, you're up, you're kind of upside down, and every time you, you twist this certain way, you see the mangled body of your wife. And you think, I've been spared. All the nickeling, all the diming, all the problems. He says, I've been spared all the powder on a Magdalene Mary. Now, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, 
in the Bible. This is full of biblical references. Now, I either thought, uh, I've been spared. I've been given all the powder on this trumpet of doom. Her doom means I get to go out and do coke if I want to. I can do coke off a whore if I want to. In biblical terms. That Magdalene Mary. The ill-fated partner of Christ. The ego of this man, this character, is is gross. It, the perspective is gross. And that makes the bridge all the more disturbing when he thinks of their wedding. I love this season without its cleft. Right cross to the left foot, or left cross to the right foot, right cross to the left. I love this season this very night. Right cross to the left foot, left cross to the right. He remembers them dancing. Mama danced four feet away at our wedding. Papa danced four feet away next to her. I gotta dance four feet away from her at the end of the rope in my heart because she's fucking gone and I've been spared. All the nicklin, all the diamond. You see? It's impressive. And it just lets you get it. All the handles a body could handle. I don't have to see her let herself go. What a cruel, brutal thought. It's it's intense, and you couldn't just come out and say those things. If you literally said, and it's very literal language, it's very exact, particular, it's not flowery, because it's so, it, it would be flowery, but it, it it's a grand language, but used so precisely with such utility to form theme and concept. It just, it blows my mind. And it's melodic, but it's not pop melodic, but it still sticks in my head. I'm astounded by this music, which is why I'm driven to talk about it for how long? Upwards of 30 minutes. I'm going to flesh this episode out. Kyle plays for about 30 minutes. And there's a 15-minute interview, and then I'll have music by other people. So this will make a full two-hour episode to kind of give you more to chew on. Those threads you would never wear, the sobbing that just might choke us, those tooth fairies, wait till they get here. Fuck. The insurance agents. When you lose a tooth, not a big deal. I'll put it under my pillow and magic happens and I get a dollar or whatever. Those tooth fairies. Those magic lawyers. And risk assessors and insurance agents. Wait till they get here. And I look under my pillow. I've been spared. It's brutal. It's really brutal. In the rubbing and fusing, the sealing and pivoting, I gotta dance four feet away. 
he's just as scared of her as she as he is of, of relationship. He sees his mother and father dancing. This is what led me to this first idea, which he he's dancing with his wife, having just gotten married. Don't play that song for me, whatever Billy Joel song or whatever, or horribly inappropriate song that you didn't actually look into the lyrics and now you're dancing to something that's just uh, just as telling as the song is, but in a different way. And he's dancing with her, and he feels so happy. I love this season without its cleft. Oneness. You know, right cross to the left foot, left cross to the right. I love this season, this very night, you know. This wonderful moment, and that's the second chord. There's one chord under the whole thing, which is... which, In which the, the present moment gets to spool out in front of you. He takes his time. Spared. I've been spared. All the powder. Yeah. He takes his time and lets it. Because... This man would be dangling at the bottom of this cable while everyone up, up at the top is, is horrified and screaming, and th- he's waiting on them to, to get him down from there. And so he just sits. Bouncer. See, bouncer. She bounced once, maybe twice. He goes on. It's, it's astounding. And... I would feel more fanatic about it if it wasn't so dark. I mean, if it, if it wasn't like, because, you know, you, everyone hasn't met that person. That's like, that's the best song ever. Like John Lennon was a genius fucking Lucy in the sky with diamonds. It's so deep, whatever. I don't, I, that's a neat song, but it's neat, you know, but fuck. That's one song. If I had if I had come up with that and gotten it out there in a way that 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 Walker has it wherein, you know, you get thousands of people listening to it and taking the time on it, where it demands that kind of time like I'm giving it. I mean I'd give I'd give anything for that one song, but he's got albums of them. And the respect that I have for his, you know, and and again, not not to knock anyone else, but anyone can knock off some a song in a, in a week or two, or you know, in a day or a week or two. That's good, you know. I've done it. It's yeah, it's a good song. It holds. It it sticks together. You want to sing it, you know. People want to listen to it. Cool. But. There's another it, there's another realm to it. You know, yeah, I, I put some chords down and I figured out the song, but then the amount of work that went, went into this, he takes so much time on the lyrics and knows the material so much. It's all scored. It sounds so loose and kind of put together that way, but it's so precise and perfectly played. And in the studio, right there, close-miked, to get that that directness of sound. And it, it took him, you know, over, over a decade to put this album together. More for a, a couple of songs on it. And the care 
and dedication of that is just astounding to me. I mean, the and 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 the emotional complexity of what I just talked through is worth a novel. You know, that's you know there was a man from a couple from Alabama a few years ago. I remember seeing it on the news where he they went scuba diving in the Caribbean and he sabotaged allegedly sabotaged her scuba tank and she died and he collected all this money. It happens. It's a real not a common thing, but not the rarest thing on earth. It happens a lot. And to get inside of, to choose that as a subject matter, because it's not a personal feeling, it's just he came across that in his life and, say, and said, oh, I can write, I can pull stuff out of this and make this something that I, I can make this an experience that I can pull people through. That's amazing. So try to give it a week or two weeks come back to it every few days and i know it's brutal music and it sounds that way it's not just like whoa this is so fucked dude i don't want to be that person you know he wrote a song about the holocaust it's messed up yeah he did and that song's emotional complexity is just as nauseating and chilling as as anything else that this guy's written it's amazing it's amazing scott walker you're like 71 or 72. I hope I, I get to see more from you before you're gone. I, I couldn't even ask to like, I hope I meet him one day because why and what would I do with that? But before uh, before I go with this section, because I just, I, I'm emotional and I want to do that. On David Bowie's 50th birthday, he received a call while he was uh, on on a BBC like call-in show. So the dude, David Bowie, he spent his 50th birthday sitting on the radio for like three hours just answering people's telephone calls and answering their questions. What a champion. He didn't have to do that. So I'm going to play you here um, one of the calls that he received. Everybody wanted to ask you questions, David. Some just had a really sort of personal message that they wanted to deliver by Carrie Pigeon. Oh, no. Hi, David. This is Scott Walker. I'm coming to you via a very crappy old handheld tape machine, so I hope it's all right. I'm going to be a devil today and not ask you any questions. I'm certain that among the many messages, there'll be those about how you always embrace the new and how you freed so many artists. And this is, of course, true. Like everyone else, I'd like to thank you for all the years, and especially for your generosity and spirit when it comes to other artists. I've been the beneficiary on more than one occasion, let me tell you. So have a wonderful birthday, and by the way, mine's the day after yours, so I'll have a drink to you on the other side of midnight. How's that? Absolutely got to love him. Yeah, but you really got to me down. <laughs> that's, uh, 
and I think he's probably been uh, my idol since I was a kid. Wow. That's very moving. I want a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it. You can take it away. I'm absolutely. Uh, that's that's really funny. That's. Uh, thank you very much. I see God in the window. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that. Um, I'm not, not the only weirdo that likes uh, that likes this guy. Hey, this is Taylor Rouse from the podcast Born with Catheters, broadcasting from the Earth Hotel. My co-podcaster, Jordan Rickerson, is not available at the second at the moment, but join us Wednesday, April 5th for the first episode available at theearthhotel.org, also available on iTunes. This is a viewer outreach announcement, so as an audience, what would you like to hear from The Earth Hotel in the coming months? Comment on our Facebook page and email us at theearthhotel at gmail.com. Folks, it's been really great this week. Uh, well, hey, next week we're going to hear all about Springfest. Like all about it. From Jake Easter and Shannon Ellis, who helped on the event. From the first Earth Hotel live podcast. You remember that? We talked about that. Tune in next week. Thanks for listening.